I feel like I know what the Lord would want me to talk to you about Monday night, and I even think Tuesday night, so I don't know about Wednesday night yet, but he usually lets me know before I get in the pulpit, so that's a blessing. I heard a story the other day about a preacher, he was a new pastor in the church, and he was very, very long-winded, and he would go nearly till one o'clock in the afternoon, just about every service, every Sunday. People were getting a little tired of it, and he was conscious, I think, after a while, he was aware, and so one Sunday, he'd gone until about 10 minutes after one, and he said, let's everybody stand and sing an encouraging song as we go out the door, and as we sing, turn around and greet somebody. So they began to sing, and a lady stood up, and she turned around to the man behind her, and she said, hello, my name is Gladys Dunn. He was asleep. He woke up and said, I'm glad it's done too. (laughs) I hope we won't be done by seven, but anyway, I don't know what time you normally get out, but I heard about another little boy. I don't know if you have baby dedications. We Baptists, we don't baptize babies. Uh, They need to be born again, and then you get baptized. But uh, they were having a baby dedication. I think it's a good thing. I think it really is more of a parent dedication uh, to raise their children in the admonition of the Lord and so on. And so they were having one at this church, and uh, it was over, and they were in the car going home. They had the little baby dedicated, and there was a seven- or eight-year-old boy sitting in the back seat, and he started to cry. And his mother and dad said, what, in, what is wrong, son? What's the matter? He said, I, I just don't want to tell you. What's, what's wrong, son? What's wrong? Finally, he blurted out, he said, well, the preacher said today that he wanted my little brother to be raised in a good Christian home. And really, I want to stay with you folks. I I don't want (laughs) to. That's bad, isn't it? That's bad. I don't know about you, but I I feel like we desperately need revival in our churches. it's so obvious, and I've heard it in some of the testimonies even today, that there's a drift in our culture. We need to aggressively oppose that drift. See which way the world is going and worldly so-called Christians and those that are living in carnality, and we need to go the other way. We need to fall from our pedestals of pride and Humbly beseech God in our behalf what he can do for us. G. Campbell Morgan said this. He said, we cannot organize revival, but we can set our sails to catch the wind of heaven. It'd be great this week if we could set our sails to catch that wind of heaven. Now at our home, we have two fireplaces. One we never light a fire in. It's in the living room. In the family room, we, uh, when I'm home, I light a fire. I don't think my wife has ever set one when I'm gone. She turns on the electric heater and the bill goes up. But uh, when I'm home, I like a fire every once in a while. And, you know, I've learned a lot about lighting fires. It's good to leave a few ashes in there in the bottom. Uh, I put newspaper in there sometimes and uh, get some smaller twigs and some kindling. And, and then you light a fire and it gets going and, you put the bigger logs on, and I've got an insert in there, and, buddy, when it thing starts a ticking, uh, you turn that little blower on, and it'll just about blow you out of that room. It gets so hot. 
But about a couple, maybe three years ago at the most, my wife, she uh, was at someone else's house and uh, there were some things on the floor and the lady said, would you pick those up for me? Matter of fact, take them home. You can have them. And I had never used them before. I didn't know what they really were. They're fire starters. And I've learned now, buddy, you put one of those fire starters in there and you get a fire just like that. You don't even have to be Smokey the Bear and you can start a fire. And what we need in our churches is we need some fire starters. We, we need some people that when it's time for revival, uh, we get in on it with both feet. We invite people, we pray, we work, and we labor. I believe this, that revivals are indelibly written in the DNA of we Baptists. They are, they are a profound and powerful part of our makeup. And when we don't have revivals, we become mutant, we become defective, we are diminutive in the size and breadth and blessing that we can be and should be as Christians. I don't think revivals are just a duty, but I think they are the dynamo of deity in the work of God in our lives. Uh, they're not, you know, some people think revivals are a notion of the past. I, I have preachers every once in a while call me and say, Brother Green, I want you to come just on Sunday and we'll have a one-day revival. Now, God could give us a one-day revival, but knowing the average Baptist church in America, it's going to take a little bit longer than one day. I think revivals are proving grounds for God's power to show himself mighty in our behalf. A revival is God desiring to bless his people. You can follow through that book of God right there. It is a, it's a book of revivals. There's times of repentance and refreshing and restoration when God's people got right with God. This, this book is an illustrated storybook of revival and spiritual awakening among God's people. Revival is God moving in our behalf as we move towards God, responding to our confession and concern for spiritual cleansing. We need a revival. Now, I know we are not evangelicals. We are old-time, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptists. But I was reading a magazine within the last uh, two months, this year anyway, and I was reading a magazine and it talked about some staggering things. In it, it said this, and I'm not gonna go in depth here because I wanna get to the message. It said that 60, well, I'm gonna give you this one first. 53% of modern evangelicals believe that many religions lead to eternal life. I'm going to tell you something. The Muslim faith does not lead to eternal life. I'm going to tell you if, if Mariology does not lead to eternal life. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that was sung about that leads to eternal life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Salvation is of and through Jesus Christ. Period. One of the most staggering statistics I read in that article was this, and this may put a quietus on 
our amens. But it said 64% of confessing Christian men regularly watch, see, or read pornography. Over six out of ten involve themselves in that kind of filth. I was further staggered when I went on in the article that said 15% of Christian women are involved in pornography. God help us. There's, God has an order in revival. There are some corresponding prayers in the book of God. In Psalms 138, in verse number seven, David said, revive me. That's talking to us as individuals. If every one of us in this room as an individual would make that prayer, say, God, would you revive me this week? We would have revival. The old song says, it's me, it's me. It's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister. It's not someone else. I'm the one that needs revival. Would you honestly and sincerely and in depth tonight pray, Lord, would you revive me? I don't think any of us have arrived at some spiritual Mount Everest that we don't need any more help. Revive me. The psalmist said in 85 and 6, and I think it's, there's, a, there's an order there. The individual then in 85 and 6, it says revive us. That's a corporate revival. Evan Roberts was the man that God used mightily in that uh, revival that began in 1904 and went for about three years. In the first 90 days of that revival, they recorded 120,000 conversions in the country, the little country of Wales. People were saved by the thousands. That revival was, a, was birthed in prayer. People began together and they would pray and, and they would plead with God and they would beg him to send revival. One of the unusual things in my estimation that was a catalyst in that revival was in a prayer meeting with young people. Parents weren't there, just some kids, teenagers had got together. And one young lady prayed, this is all she got out. She said, Lord, oh Lord, bend me. Now I don't know exactly what she meant by that, but God, God moved in at the behest of that young lady. And revival broke out. Duncan Campbell, the man that God uh, centrally used in the revival in uh, the Hebrides in 1948, 49, and 50, and in through there, men had been praying for revival for many, many months. They would uh, meet three nights a week at 10 p.m. They would pray until four or five o'clock in the morning that God would send revival. One day, one night, I should say, in one of those prayer meetings, a young man stood up and he began to read Psalms 24. He said to the men gathered there to pray, he said, 
It'll do no good for us to pray. And he read verse, the question there in verse number three, I believe it is, who shall stand in his holy place? And the answer was found in verse 44. Said those that had clean hands and a pure heart and were humble and honest. And it says in verse five, then he shall receive the blessing. And that young man in the right spirit, he said, brethren, what we've been doing here night after night into the wee hours of the morning is so much humbug. I guess an English word, so much humbug, so much nonsense, so much foolishness. That night after night we come if we ourselves are not right. Those secret sins, those sins that we've become comfortable with, those things that, you know, we tolerate just because, you know, it's us and, you know, nobody has to know about it. I don't tell mom or dad. I don't tell my wife. I don't tell my husband, the preacher. I hope he never finds out. But I dabble in this and I fool around with that and, and I play cards when I want to and, and I uh, watch things I shouldn't watch and, and I go places I shouldn't go and, you know, you know, just at Christmas time, have a hot toddy or two. You know, just... Those little foxes that spoil the spiritual vines of our life. Seven leaders in that prayer meeting discovered inequities in their own lives. They confessed them after falling under conviction and victory came and God swept into that barn on the Isle of Lewis and God worked in a mighty way. That was a that revival brought people. When Duncan Campbell came to the island, he was preaching on the Isle of Skye. He'd been in an evangelistic crusade. I have a dear friend. I see him at least once a month. We talk on the phone. Uh, not that often, but I usually see him once a month. His last name is Campbell. He was a preacher. He spent the last year of Duncan Campbell's life in America and in Canada, Campbell came here and preached that this man was his chauffeur and drove him around. Some of the things he has told me are just absolutely thrilling. But we need a, we need a revival. Amen. We need a move of God yeah. in our hearts and in our lives and in our churches and in our homes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how many, I don't want to exaggerate but I have been with two preachers this year already whose children are grown and they're going astray. Some of them are in the ministry and they're going the wrong way. You know, it's old time hyper-Calvinism and they have a new word for it, for it now, you know, to make it a little bit better. You know, they think, God help us. Amen. Parents with broken hearts, children dropping their standards, going the wrong way. God, help us to get concerned. I want you to look in your book tonight, and this is not a long message, to the book of the Revelation, chapter 3. The book of the Revelation, chapter 3. I've only got one page of notes, so it won't be long, I can tell you that. It wouldn't be bad if it was. You might be like Gladys Dunn, I don't know. Verse number 14. And on the angel of the church of the Latiacians write, 
These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou work cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. And white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. And that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. I can see some weary traveler back 2,000 years ago pulling into the city of Laodicea. There's a welcome sign that announces the name of this village and tells people, you're welcome here. We're glad to have you. Perhaps it's a garish sign that displays with great and enticing graphics. It declares in glowing terms the kind of city that is there. I'd like to title, I have two titles for this message. One, welcome to the First Baptist Church of Laodicea. Their motto is, come as you are and leave the same. My subtitle is, A Brief History of a Bad Church. Now here's a church clothed in the emperor's emporium. I don't know if you remember that uh, satire called the emperor's new clothes. But the emperor in this story, he wanted some new clothes and so they shopped around and found a tailor and that tailor won the bid and so he came and he would work and work and work at his um, uh, sewing machine and he would take something and hold it up and say, what do you think about this, your highness? And he'd say, well, that looks nice. And so he would put it on, but he, he had no clothes. He was just there in his underclothes. The emperor's new clothes were nothing. He was, he was without clothing. He was not covered. And I'm sad to say, and I fear it with all of my heart, there are a lot of people that are clothed in the emperor's clothing. Verse 17 says they were naked when they should have been clothed in righteousness. They were blind when they should have been blessed of God. I think some people have bought their glasses at Satan's optometry shop and they look through life at, as rose-colored glasses. They were poor when they should have been powerful. They were rich in money, but they were poor in grace. They were miserable when they should have been morally pure. They were wretched when they should have been worthy. Time came. You know, I, there are some things I think that are infesting our church, our churches. Some things, some diseases that have slipped in. I meant to say this at the outset. I, I have been uh, unhealthy for the last five weeks or so. I came down with uh, upper respiratory, the upper respiratory flu, and was seriously sick. Didn't know how sick I was. My doctor, that rascal, was on vacation. I couldn't get to the doctor. My wife caught it from me uh, about a week or so into it. And she said, I am going to urgent care. I have never been to urgent care. 
I took my wife to urgent care. She took me to urgent care. She went in the back. They worked on her. She came out. They said, here, you take these uh, pills just for five days and you'll be fine. I said, boy, that sounds good. I went up and I said, doctor, what about me? How long have you been sick? I've had it about 10 days. It's too late for you. I ended up costing me another week or so. She was well. My wife was well in five days. I mean, just like that. Because I, my immune system was so low, I caught something else that I'm suffering with uh, right now as I'm standing here in this pulpit. I'm in pain. But I, you know, it doesn't hurt my voice and, and I could hold on to the pulpit in case I feel like fainting. And uh, no, I don't want mouth to mouth. You just stay over there. <laughs> but I think we've grown apathetic. I think the average, we're so, we're, we're filled with apathy. The world's going to hell. We, we can't even pass out a track. I hope to goodness I have one in my pocket. Oh my goodness, yes. I mean, how hard is it? How hard is it to hand a track to somebody? You say, but preacher, I've handed tracks to people and they wad them up and throw them on the ground. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting him. God help us. You say, I'm embarrassed. Leave it at the table with a tip and leave. Don't say anything. I've started recently. I give the track to the waiter or the waitress before I get my meal. Now, I might be taking a chance. I don't know. It might be spitting in my food. But my goodness, it gives you a little bit more time to talk to them. I've been on two occasions in the last year or so, last year, uh, where the preacher, and we were there, I think it's happened three times, and the preacher would say to the waitress or the waiter, uh, we're getting ready to pray over our food. Is there anything you'd like us to pray about? Every occasion, the waitress or the waiter has bared their heart. A young lady, she said, Yes, my mother uh, has cancer. She's going in tomorrow. And we'd have pray, prayer for the girl. We were praying for that girl in the restaurant we were in. A man, this preacher, he goes in the restaurant all the time and he uses a witnessing tool. It's a very small community and so everybody knows who he is. A man who had not spoken to him one time in over a year. While we were praying for that waitress, we looked up and he was standing there. He said, preacher, I want you to pray. He said, my wife, we've been married for, I was 15, 18 years, something like that. She left me the other day, and I need some prayer. God, help us to be aware and conscious of a lost and dying world that's all about us. We're so apathetic. And then we've got all these activities. They just keep us distracted all the time from the main task of reaching people with the gospel. Of Jesus Christ. I think we've become a little arrogant. We're saved. We go to a good church. We have good music. We shout every once in a while. We lift our hands and say, Glory to God, hallelujah. And we get a little arrogant. And I like the testimonies. Hey, we are nothing but a bunch of sinners saved by the marvelous grace of God. 
drive down the road sometimes, see some stumble bung along the road. I was in uh, Arizona uh, week four last. And I mean, while I was in Yuma, Arizona, the uh, mayor of the city declared a state of emergency because so many migrants are coming into the country, illegal immigrants, I guess would be a better term to be honest, that they hired the Greyhound Bus Company I saw this with my own eyes. There'd be 50, 60 uh, illegal immigrants standing there and a Greyhound bus. I don't know who's paying for it. Come and pick those people up. And uh, I read in the paper while I was out there, they take them to sanctuary cities. Thank God for that. You want to have them at your house? Have them at your house, friend. Well, I mean to tell you, that I, sometimes you, there was a, I would say, I don't, I don't like exaggerating. I would say half of the corners that I passed to go from the hotel to get to the church, there was a, a bum there. There was somebody begging money there. It looked like some of them lived there. And you drive by and you're in your suit and you're in an air-conditioned car and you got a couple of bucks in your pocket and your house is paid for and you got this. And we get a little arrogant about that. But by the grace of God, there said I. God help us. God help us to have a heart for people that are lost, that are dying and going to hell all around about us. We need revival. We need it. We've got to have it. Lester Roloff died. In, on election day in 1982. And I heard him preach several times way in the past and you've probably heard him on the radio or you may have heard him yourself. But Lester Roloff said before 1982, he said it's revival for survival. And I'm gonna tell you something, friend. If we needed a revival 37 years ago, if my math is right, we desperately need it tonight. Not a meeting where we just come and feel good. But a meeting where we come and let the Holy Spirit of God deal with our hearts and cleanse us and make us to be what he would want us to be. I get tired of the status quo. I get tired of the ho-hum. I get tired of it. Well, it's just another service. I want to be in one where God shows up in a mighty way and folks are saved and folks get right, get right one with another. Get right with their mate. Get right with their parents. That's the kind of revival we need in our churches. You know, the definitive verse, I think in the Old Testament on revival is Second Corinthians. Chronicles chapter 7 and verse number 14. We're to pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways and humble ourselves. That eliminates that arrogance. To humble ourselves before a holy God. I know you pray. It would be great this week if you would spend a little extra time in prayer for these days of revival. Amen. And a little extra preparation and a little extra time spent inviting some people. Yes. 
I don't mind if people come from other churches. That doesn't bother me at all. It's not going to bother me if lost sinners come in here. Not going to bother me at all. I was with a preacher the other day in a meeting, and he told a story about a fellow. He pastors in Michigan. I know the guy in Michigan. I did not know the story. I did not know the uh, the father that he talked about, but his father was in the mafia, the, the Detroit mafia, which it was and is real. Ask Jimmy Hoffa, wherever he is. <laughs> you know, when, they, when, when Jimmy Hoffa, you know, he was at the Red Fox, the Marcus Red Fox re- restaurant, and that's where he disappeared from in the parking lot. When they went to his house, and he was the head of the Teamsters Union, but when they went to his house, down in the basement, there were 17 drains. Now, I know basements would, basements would get flooded every once in a while, but why would you need 17 drains? And it was kind of curious to the FBI when they came in there, why would he need 17 drains in the basement? All 17 of those drains held $1 million. They found $17 million in the guy's basement. I wish I'd have been there first, to be honest with you. We need some extra time, some extra dedication, gathering our families to come to the house of God. It would be great to have a revival at your house. Don't tell me you haven't had an argument with your your wife in 2019. Don't tell me that. Don't tell me you haven't had... You sassed your mom and dad back. Well, I wouldn't do it verbally if you did it in your heart. Don't tell me. I'm married. I know what it's like. I had children. I I was a child. I know what it's like. God help us to have a move of God that rearranges the furniture of our soul and sets our minds and hearts towards spiritual things more than the things of this old world. They have, such, they have such a profound effect upon us. This Laodicean church, God had nothing good to say about it. I think good preaching deserves good practicing. You know, it's not what some preachers are saying, but it's what they will not say that's the problem. So many of our people today, and I'm almost done, less than a half a page to go, they're more interested in being conformed to this world than consecrated to Jesus Christ. A.W. Tozer said this, I read it, it's one of the most convicting sentences I have ever read in my life. He said, worship is no longer worship when it reflects the culture around us more than the Christ within us. If that doesn't describe the average church in the Chattanooga area, I don't know what does. Our worship, look, the church right by the preacher's house, they have two uh, contemporary services. Miss Preacher said on the way to church tonight, she said, you, when they crank up in the morning at 8.30, you can hear them. The drums, the, that's reflecting the culture of our day not the Christ within us that changes us. and We get conformed to the image of his son. I'm going to say this. There is, 
There is nothing wrong with old-time Bible standards. They ought not to be just occasional convictions so we can fit in in certain places. It's sad to say when the blind lead the blind, they all are ditch-bound. We're not to follow men, but we're to follow the leading of the Spirit of God. If you're a born-again child of God, you have just as much of the Holy Ghost living inside of you as I do. The problem with the average Christian is we have all of him, but he doesn't have all of us. There are areas of our lives that we conserve, we keep, we coddle, we get comfortable. I, you know, I'm just, you know, I don't want to go overboard. I, I, I don't want to become a nut. I, I don't want to. I don't want people to look at me and say, "Ah, oh, God help us." Not to worry about what men think or say. We're to worry about what God yeah. thinks and says. And what God thinks and says is pretty plain in this old book of ours. If there's a church in America, if there's a pastor in America that I love any more than Bible Baptist in Rossville, Georgia, I don't know where it is. And I would want revival for this church as much or more than any church I know in this country. And we can have it. We can have it. We've got to do some things. We've got to work on some areas. You sit here tonight and perhaps in these few minutes the Holy Ghost of God has spoken to you about something. You say, well, it's just, it's so, it's so infinitesimal. It's so minuscule. It's just really nothing, preacher. It wasn't nothing to the Holy Ghost that talked to you about it. You know, maybe it's that little thing. Maybe it's that little thing, that little fox that's keeping you from having revival in your heart and in your home and in your life and in your church. And we have a corporate revival. Oh, how, boy, revive us, revive us, revive all of us. It says over there in Habakkuk in chapter 3, revive thy work. That's what we need, a revival of the work of God in our churches and in our Sunday school classes and in our choir and in our specials and in our preaching and in our homes. That's what we need. Father in heaven, we thank you for these few minutes. Best I know, I've unburdened my heart from what you placed upon my spirit to communicate to these folk here at Bible Baptist. Pray, Lord, we take a quick spiritual inventory. Probably we don't have to look very far. We don't have to go very deep. Probably the thing that's keeping us from being what we ought to be is on the surface. You've talked to us about it before. Sadly, we've ignored you. We've comforted ourselves by thinking that we're well, we're not as bad as Mrs. Jones or not as bad as Mr. Smith. But that's not a measuring stick. God, I pray you'd help us tonight. May the seeds of revival be sown in the hearts and lives of humble, confessing, contrite Christians in this room. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Folks are playing. 
God has spoken to your heart tonight about anything, would you get up out of your seat, find your way to the front of this building, get in this altar, and do some business with a holy God that loves you, that cares for you, that wants nothing but your best, nothing but a positive future, his heart and mind for you. Would you come? Folk are coming from all over the building. Would you come? Maybe kneel there at the pew where you are. I believe this with all of my heart. Any honest Christian that would ask God, what is it, Lord, that stands between me and victory? What is it, Lord, that stands between me and having everything going the way it ought to go in my life? I don't think you'd have, if you were honest and you prayed that, Holy Ghost tell you about just like that. He'd communicate to the depths of your spirit. He'd reveal down in that redeemed soul of yours exactly what it is. Selfishness, pride, contrary, gossip. I call that kind of stuff respectable Baptist sins. I doubt if there's very many people that drink here tonight, very, many, very few people that cuss, very few people that smoke, very few people that are committing adultery. Those are the sins we preach about sometimes and everybody can say amen. But what about those little secret sins? The kind we coddle, the kind we cover instead of confess and get right. Those are the ones that keep us from having old time Holy Ghost revival. God help you to deal with it. Let's quietly stand our feet.